calling Stormy Monday. But Tuesday's just as bad. Tuesday's just as bad. Good morning and welcome to episode 243 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I am Ben Lindberg, joined as always by Sam Miller. Hi, Ben. Hello. How was your weekend? How are you? Good. How was your weekend? It was eventful. Uh, the FanFest stuff was going on and I was doing some of that and then I was at the Futures game yesterday and there was a BP event after the Futures game, so it was a busy weekend. You went to actual events? Yes, I did. And it's nice to go to the Futures game as a, as a person who doesn't know much about prospects just because you can't, you can't be completely wrong when you think that someone looks good because everyone there is a prospect. So you can't have that that feeling when you go to some other minor league game and you you become convinced that someone you're watching is a future star and then you find out that he's like a 28-year-old repeating the level for the fourth time with, yeah. with no stuff. Um, so, so you can't have that feeling. So that's nice. It was a good day. Great. Uh, what do you want to talk about? Uh, XFIP. Okay. <coughs> and I want to talk about... Uh, pitch counts in no hitters. Great. Start. Why don't you start? Okay. It's a good one. Uh, yeah. So we've talked a bit about how uh, I guess we're not that impressed by no hitters. Um, that we don't think it's maybe as impressive an achievement, just all else being equal, as uh, maybe a more dominant start that that did include hits. Yeah, and I guess we should. I mean, I don't. When you say we're not that impressed with no hitters, I I think that the key is just to say relative right re- to, right re- relative to the sort of position that no hitters hold. I don't think that we're strictly anti fun or anything like that. Sure. Uh, so right, yeah, the the Lincecum game was great. I was watching the Lincecum great. I enjoyed it. Um, so it seems like uh, the no hitter now or the perfect game attempt is now sort of the one time when pitchers are allowed to throw a ton of pitches. Um, uh-huh. And so I thought we could talk about whether that makes sense or whether we approve of of that being, uh, you know, a time when it's seen as acceptable to do that. Lincecum, of course, threw 148 pitches, uh, a, a career high, and uh, the most anyone has thrown since Edwin Jackson's no-hitter which was 149, and that was in 2010. And What's it the most since in the non-no-hitter context? Uh, I don't know. I'll, it, yeah, I'll look it up. Yeah, but there, I mean, there are very few starts now, really, over even 130. Uh, so it was kind of an outlier. And I didn't see a, a ton of uh, complaints about this. And, and I feel like in the past we've we've maybe seen some some, if not... If not, that was a bad idea, just kind of uneasiness, uh, like maybe this was a bad idea. Um, it feels like we saw less of this with Lincecum than we did with Jackson, maybe, or with Johan Santana, although that was uh, 
that was kind of a retroactive thing after he after he struggled later that year. People sort of said it maybe was because of the no hitter. Um, but I, I guess the the two things I'm interested in is uh, are whether it whether it makes sense on any level for you know if you believe that that a start this long and with this high a pitch count is is not a good thing does it make sense to make an exception for a no hitter and secondly i i guess maybe uh why there wasn't much of a backlash to lincecum's being allowed to to exceed his his usual or anyone's usual to answer your to answer yeah uh i guess your i guess your inability to answer my question uh <laughs> The longest non-no-hitter, or I guess the last the last pitcher to throw 148 pitches in a non-no-hitter was Levon Hernandez in 2005. And he, and in fact, <laughs> Levon Hernandez was kind of... He doesn't really count. Yeah, no, right? not at all. If, so if you just look for pitches, if you just look for games with more than 140, uh, besides Linscombe and Jackson's no-hitters, the next four are all Levon Hernandez. There's a Jason Schmidt start. Uh, in 2004, that was 144 pitches. Mm-hmm. Kerry Woodstart in in 2003, that was 141. And then you have to go back <clears throat> 11 years to Randy Johnson in 2002 to get a non-no-hitter that topped uh, Tim Linscombe's pitch count. Well, nothing bad ever happened to, to <coughs> Kerry Wood or Jason Schmidt. Or Randy Johnson. No. Um... I mean, he's retired now, for goodness <laughs> right. sake. Uh, yeah, he's still... Terrible outcome. Yes, Um would not surprise me at all <laughs> if when uh, Tim Lincecum is 44, he now also has to be retired. Yes, that, that could very well happen even well, earlier than that. Um, so the, to me, the backlash, there's a, there's a second backlash that you didn't mention, but that I'm a little surprised it seems to be one of, uh, maybe not, maybe you'll think of others, but one of the few places, uh, maybe the only place in baseball where blatant stat chasing uh-huh. is is allowed, mm-hmm. um, it's the uh, saves would be an example that a lot of people bring up in which the save kind of dictates uh, pitcher usage. But I think managers would say that more than that, it uh, the save is uh, is a parameter by which pitchers expect to be used. And since the goal of using a lot of relievers is to have their usage be predictable, to have them have clear roles, I think they would say that. They might argue, I, I'm not sure convincingly, that it's not as much about the stat as it is about the predictability. But, um, I mean, like when Craig Biggio was out there chasing 3,000, there was some backlash. And uh, I, I'm, I, I, Can you think of anything else where a batter is allowed or a player is allowed to do things that are uh, considered uh, strategically not um, uh, desirable? in order simply to chase a personal achievement? Uh, yeah, someone tweeted at me the other day and asked whether I thought that that managers' lineup construction is dictated by wanting to get certain hitters uh, more RBIs or something, and I, I said mm. I didn't think it worked like that. Um, I, I guess, I mean, maybe a, a manager might leave a guy in, try to get him through five innings oh, so yeah. he can get the yeah. win. I don't know how often that happens, but it, it happens. That's, I think that's probably true. You're right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's true. But there's a, maybe a couple of instances a year where you you sort of know blatantly that they're trying to get him through five. Yeah. Uh, and it and if it were the sixth inning, he'd be gone. And if it were the fourth inning, he'd be gone. Yeah. But because it's the fifth, he gets to keep going. Um, so I don't know. I'm. A, I wonder how long. Maybe if if there will come a point when uh, there will be some sort of backlash to the to the individual achievement. Um, 
aspect of it, but maybe not. Maybe it'll be forever. Uh, what was your question? Oh, pitch count. Um, yeah. The weird thing, does too, it, is that does it make Linscombe sense? had a, a nine-run lead. Right. Uh, does it make sense? So To, to make an I, exception to... <laughs> yeah, I think that if it, it it might make sense, but if it makes sense, then then what I would say is that it, we're actually not making enough exceptions. Mm-hmm. Um, like I could see a manager saying, "Look, one one game pitch counts are probably not going to be the thing that um, that usually leads to an injury. Uh, it's more about probably more about a pattern of usage. Uh, you know, who knows? But it's as good a hypothesis as any. And so when you have your starting pitcher and you really want to send a message to him that he is an ace. That he is a he is a man. He is a uh, he is a, a god among other peers, and that you want him to really feel like he's capable of accomplishing great things. That you might leave him out there for you know at what might seem like an irresponsible number of pitches, um, you know, knowing that it's probably not too irresponsible, and that there might be kind of secondary benefits down the road. The question is whether no hitter is where that line should be, mm-hmm. or whether one hit shutout with. 17 strikeouts is one of those or whether one nothing game uh against a division rival is one of those uh i mean if if this were a one run game uh, against the diamondbacks or the dodgers or whoever's in first place in september and the giants needed the win uh they wouldn't have left linscombe out there to throw 149 pitches they probably would have pulled him after you know they, they i certainly don't think they would have let him start an inning with 130 they no. probably would have pulled him around 130 at the most um, so if you want your aces to feel like aces and you think that it's the you know that that's the best thing to do even at the expense of pitches you should probably broaden the, the amount the, the the range of times that you're willing to do that to me no hitter is a, a is a probably not particularly convincing place to draw that line but that's because i don't think no hitters are quite the historic accomplishment that uh, baseball thinks they are. I mean, there's so many of them that, uh, you know, m- maybe they're just not quite valuable enough or rare enough. They, I think you'd see, I think that you wouldn't have seen, well, it's hard to throw 150 pitches in a perfect game, right? Because that would yeah. be like five and a half pitches per, <laughs> <laughs> per batter. Right. Uh, well, it seems like they do still have the, <laughs> the capacity to seem special to most people. I mean, if you're Especially if your team is not having the greatest season, the Giants are kind of having a disappointing season. They've they've been sort of lousy lately, uh, and having a Tim Lincecum no hitter all of a sudden, it sort of changes the the feeling of the season in a way, at least for a little while. Or when people think back on this season, they will think back fondly on this one start, and you know maybe the team will sell a lot of souvenir Tim Lincecum no hitter. I don't know, t-shirts, uh, and make a lot of money that way. And, you know, they'll be able to replay Tim Lincecum's no hitter on TV for the next 20 years. And it'll kind of be one of these great franchise moments, I suppose, to some extent. And maybe it's less special than it used to be, but, but still sort of has that feeling for, for most people, I think. And I don't know whether, whether a, a manager should, should consider that sort of thing. Um, but uh, it, there is a benefit to the team, I, you know. Uh, certainly, with with Santana's no hitter, there was probably more of that than usual, just because the Mets had never had one. Um, so I feel like there all there are all those sort of secondary benefits that someone with the team is probably pretty pleased about. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether the manager is considering that or should consider that. Um, 
And I guess there's also the fact that players really want to do this. Uh, so you always hear the manager say, well, he would have killed me if, it, if I'd taken him out or something, which, you know, kind of seems like, uh, well, it's, you know, it's your job to, to do the unpopular thing if it's the better thing, if you think it's the better thing. But, um, you know, you also have to worry about your players liking you and being happy uh, and being allowed to pursue those goals that they really want to pursue. I guess that's a consideration. Lincecum's an interesting case, too, because he's, um, you know, he's not necessarily going to be back in three months. So even if you do think this is bad for his arm, the maybe the giant exposure is very limited. Yeah. And this is a really, I mean, you can't ask for a more high-profile showcase start if you're thinking about moving him at the trade deadline. Yeah. Um, so there's a little bit of extra intrigue there, I would say, from the Giants' perspective. Yes, so that's what I was wondering about, why there hasn't been much of a, a backlash in this instance. And w- I guess, like, I, you know, has there been... Is it that we can't we can't tell whether it's really bad or not? Because, you know, Edwin Jackson was the last one, and I, I think Tom Tango did a, con- a comparison of... Jackson's 15 starts before and after the no-hitter, and it was like, you know, exactly the same or or a little better after. Um, And so we don't really have any strong evidence that I've seen that one, you know, lone start with a high pitch count can be really harmful. So I wonder whether we, you know, we're just so sick of seeing pitch counts rule every decision and get smaller and smaller that in a way we're, we're sort of happy to see uh, kind of a throwback start like this or whether it does have more to do with Lincecum in particular in that you know it feels like he's kind of uh, on the downside already you know for the last year year and a half he's been mediocre if that um, so I don't know whether we're kind of excusing it because it feels like sort of this last hurrah thing where you know it's not really endangering a pitcher who's in his prime but sort of seeing, you know, one more great start from a guy who's already on the downside. Or, yeah, whether it's, you know, the, the Giants aren't, well, they're contending certainly, but, you know, they're they're behind and they're struggling and so it's a good moment. Or, or the things that you mentioned, that he might not be with them for long and, and you know, it's not like a, a young starter who's going to be with your team for the next half decade and you want to protect him. So I'm looking at uh, Randy Johnson threw more 141-plus pitch games uh, than anybody, uh, you know, of the of the pitch count era. <clears throat> and he threw 37 of them. This is, I have no point here. This is, I'm just looking at it. It's enjoyable. So he threw 37 of them. I see a 160 in here. I see a couple 160s in here. One as late as 1995, in fact. Although, yeah, even with Randy Johnson, they just... Uh, they fall off quickly uh, after the early 90s. But my favorite of these starts, the most probably early Randy Johnson start you could possibly imagine, is 2000, uh, sorry, 1992 against the Yankees. Uh-huh. Seven innings, one earned run. Uh-huh. So that's that's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, and you might wonder how he threw 146 pitches in seven <laughs> innings with one earned run. Well, he, he struck out three, uh-huh. so that doesn't get him there. He walked He walked nine. <laughs> Uh, and he allowed six unearned runs. So it was the wow. the, the classic seven five seven one nine three pitching line. Yes, I, I would guess that's the only one of those. Willing to bet, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
he, he walked six per nine that year, and that wasn't even his highest. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah, I, I guess is there is there do you have uh, one theory on on why we don't care about the pitch count? Uh, probably uh, one theory about why we don't care about the pitch count. Uh, I don't know because he's a veteran and it's one start. Yeah, I don't I, I don't think one start is probably the thing yeah, to worry probably, too much about. Probably not. As though I have any idea, like, <laughs> yes. like we have any idea whether one or more is is matter. Just kind that. of the thing, like I guess we know we don't have any idea, so we can't get that worked up about it. Well, the thing is that I don't, you know, I mean, one of the reasons that I don't get too excited when I'm watching a no hitter is because, like, I've seen, you know, I've seen it. It's not, it's not all that new. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't feel all that rare and special. But 148 pitches is kind of rare and special, yeah. and so I actually enjoyed that start a great deal. Mm-hmm. For that reason. Yes. Yeah, because there was sort of some uncertainty about whether he'd be allowed to do it or whether he would just collapse all of a sudden or what. Right. Yeah. yeah. Who knows what happens? I mean, maybe there's like a kill screen. And if you just keep <laughs> keep making the guy throw pitches, eventually like he right. starts to get glitchy. Yes. And, you know, batters can't see him anymore. And who knows what happens. Right. All right. Okay. <laughs> so uh, I uh, Joe Blanton this year... Uh, well, I don't know what, yeah, I, I imagine I know what you think about XFIP, uh, but do you have any, just before we start, do you have any opinions about XFIP, the utility of XFIP? Uh, I think it can be helpful sometimes, um, you know, as long as you kind of, it's the same sort of thing as, as FIP, where it doesn't work for some guys, and, and you kind of have to look at whether a guy is pitching in a certain ballpark where I, we should probably explain what it is first. Yeah, Cause someone sure. emailed us and, you know, said that when we bring up some new advanced stat we've never <laughs> talked about before, we should yeah. give some background. Do you want to do so that? So X yeah. XFIP is basically just a, a way of creating an ERA like stat that only looks at the things that a pitcher is thought to be the most in control of, which are his strikeout walk and ground ball rates. So it assigns him a league average BABIP, and it assigns him a league average uh, home run per fly ball rate. Uh, so if a pitcher has a lot of strikeouts, not a lot of walks, and a good ground ball rate, he'll have a low xFIP uh, that might not match up with his ERA if he's been giving up lots of hits on balls in play and lots of uh, home runs on fly balls. Okay. Yeah. So so I'll, I'll look at it from time to time just to kind of see if there's a big difference from his ERA, which will then tell me that he's been. Usually that he's been giving up a, a ton of home runs on mm-hmm. on fly balls, but then, you know, kind of look beyond that to see whether it, it's because of his ballpark or whether he's a guy who always gives up a lot of home runs on fly balls or whether he's just kind of, you know, leaving a lot of balls over the middle and getting crushed and maybe that will continue. So it's, you know, I look at it from time to time and then and then think about whether it's missing something. Yeah. So yesterday I, I tweeted that, um, Blanton this year has a lower xFIP than at least three all-star starters. Um, and Joe Blanton, you have to understand, you probably are aware that Joe Blanton is bad. Um, but out here, it is like uh, all the energy that that uh, Puig Mania gets is all sucked out of Joe Blanton's life force. It's a 
it's a total mirror. Like they, they're the unbreakable team. Uh-huh. Uh, the and I mean Blanton is at like as low a point as I've seen an Angel starter as far as like the public perception of him uh, in all my time here. So he's been really, really, really bad. Um, and you know he's got a better XFIP than Bartolo Colon, who's like a Cy Young candidate. And I think he actually with the replacement starters named, he's he's better than at least one of them uh, by XFIP and maybe more. So and and I might have missed guys too. So. And so I tweeted this out, and as I often do, I then spent 40 minutes pondering it because I was worried it was going to get misunderstood. Yeah. And so I needed to have, like, an answer in case somebody said, like, what's your point? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, because, you know, I think you can read that a few different ways. You can read it as me saying XFIP is, is nonsense. You could read it as me saying Joe Blanton is very good mm-hmm. um, when, you know, you don't think he is. And what I actually tweeted it out as is like uh like look how weird all this stuff is you know like you can think about those two angles of thought and wonder which way you fall but to me it was it was just a way of putting us uh, your your beliefs to the test right mm-hmm. if you believe that xfip is more predictive than a lot of other things then this puts it to the test and if you believe joe blanton is absolute garbage then this puts that to the test and i don't actually my opinion of blanton is that he's probably not doing very well but after i <clears throat> Uh, and then he's uh, he's probably terrible, um, but but probably not. Also, probably not quite as terrible right. as as one would think. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, then, like a few minutes later, I was listening to the Angels game on the radio, and they were talking about Blanton, and um, they were th- they were theorizing about why he used so bad. And so uh, uh, Terry Smith, the Angels uh, radio guy says, well, you know, a lot of people around baseball think that he lost too much weight. Uh, you know, he came to camp this year having lost a lot of weight, and they think that's the problem, that he's not used to pitching at this weight. He needs to be heavier. <coughs> and so then he asked, like, his partner, Mark Langston, whether he thinks that's the reason that Blanton sucks. And and I was thinking, well, but we don't necessarily know that Blanton sucks. Like, we're now narrativizing before we've even necessarily determined whether Blanton is doing worse than he always does or whether maybe he's even doing better than he usually does and so then Langston said no no I don't buy that at all he thinks that it's because Joe Blanton doesn't shake off his catcher enough that he (laughs) he goes up there and he just he throws what it's called for so he's not always throwing a pitch that he's confident in he's not adjusting that 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 uh, game calling uh, really benefits from having two you know different minds uh, kind of pushing each other and going back and forth and finding the, the really the right pitch. And again, I thought, well, that's uh, interesting. And yet, uh, I don't know that we've nec- like it. Like, what if Joe Blanton like corrected and pitched to his exfit for the rest of the year? We would be finding solutions for what had changed. Yeah. Uh, and yet, we don't necessarily know what's real. And so, I just wanted to bring this up because it, the thing about all these ERA predictors is that. Uh, in a in a way, unless you really dig in on a pitcher and like you know, like you described, go deeper and look at you know a level of detail that most of us can't do for most players all the time, um, it in a way has actually created a lot more uncertainty. And uh, so while you know a lot more about each player, you don't necessarily know who's good anymore. <laughs> you have a lot of situations where you're like. Well, these are three different numbers that that attempt to capture three different things, and uh, they say three different things. And it reminds me of that that old saying that a man with one watch always knows the time, and a man with two can never be sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a way, uh, having these ERA predictors that are all different uh, has 
I don't know, chipped away. I mean, it's chipped away at our certainty, which is very good. But it's also chipped away at, like, until you decide whether Joe Blanton is bad, you can't decide why Joe Blanton is bad, if mm-hmm. that makes sense, right? Yeah. Does that, you can't, you have to first decide what you're seeking to explain before you can explain it. And we can't necessarily pin down, like, for a lot of players, I feel like this is the case, especially over the course of a year. I mean, this is why you always talk about how hard it is to write during this time of the season because you don't trust anything. Uh-huh. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's my point. That's my whole point. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I guess, I, I don't know whether, um, you know, watching a player regularly, maybe that probably, probably dispenses some of the uncertainty, I guess. Like if you, if you know absolutely nothing about a pitcher and you've never seen him and you haven't watched a single start and you see that he's given up a lot of home runs on fly balls. Um, and so he has a much lower XFIP than his ERA there's there's almost no way that you could tell whether that was bad luck or bad pitching, really. I mean, you could look and see whether in the past he's had a, a tendency to do this or whether he plays in a hitter's park or something, but but you couldn't you couldn't really say with any certainty whether he had just done something to to make it more likely that he would give up these home runs or not. Um, you know, when you watch every start or you watch every game with a guy, I guess that maybe makes you more confident either one way or another. Um, or, I, you know, you can <clears throat> look at look at his pitch FX data or something and see what he's doing. But, but uh, yeah, if you're, you know, it's sort of the thing with, with Dan Heron that I guess we've talked about. It's similar to Blanton with the, the high strikeout to walk ratio and just a ton of home runs that that makes his line look really ugly and so you wonder whether whether that's you know it seems like something that's been happening for a little while now so probably something that has to do with the way he's pitching or reduced stuff and he's throwing a little less hard and and all those things kind of can make you more confident one way or another if you know them yeah, yeah. And I mean, I don't, with Blanton, I think, to me, it's pretty clear that with Blanton, this isn't controversial. Yeah. Blanton got me thinking about it. Right. Uh, but he, he seems fairly uncontroversial. Although I will, uh, as a uh, amusing, maybe closing point, uh, from 2006 to 2009, these are his XFIP ERA gap. Uh-huh. So the difference between them, 0. 0. 0.01, 0. 0.02, 0. 0.05, 0. 0.04. Uh-huh. So Virtually, maybe the most, probably I would guess if you looked at all the pitchers in baseball, nobody's ERA was predicted as well as his XFIP. Mm-hmm. So then these are the last four years. 0.95, uh, 1.84, uh, so that's hysterical, uh, 1.32, and 1.76. Yeah, <laughs> that's a big difference. Um yeah, I, I don't know. Do you have a theory? I guess he was. I know that the point is not really Blanton in particular, but um, maybe it's just you know a guy who's always around the plate and he loses a little stuff, and suddenly you can hit a home run every now and then that you couldn't hit before. Is that basically the the idea? That's basically the idea. Yeah, yeah he he can't. He doesn't have anything that can blow batters away, but he uh, wants to strike out guys and not walk them Mm -hmm. all right uh so that's one show of the week down uh 
send us emails at podcast at baseballperspectus.com and we will get to them on yeah. Wednesday. Can I just, what if Joe Blanton is actually like a super, super stat head and he only looks at one stat <laughs> and, and every July he's like, another year I got snubbed by the All-Star <laughs> team. Like, what is wrong with you guys? Right. Like, he just walks around like such a big shot in the clubhouse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that doesn't happen though. No. no. All right. Okay. See you tomorrow. All right, bye.